Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be delightful in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Shout aloud and sing for joy, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And from prison, Paul says, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. The paradoxes of Advent continue on this third Sunday of our season of preparation. The looming judgment, the cleansing fire of God burning away all useless weeds, the wind of the Spirit sweeping away all that hinders love of God, that apocalyptic revealing of all that is evil and destructive. This is still a reality that we face into as we continue Advent. But today there is a note, a change, a note of exuberant rejoicing, which is quite startling, I think. John the Baptist, in his best bedside manner, you brood of vipers, warns of the wrath to come. And people in spite of his uh, rhetoric, people are still drawn into the desert to hear him about the axe being ready at the root of the tree, the radical cutting away of all that is not of God. They are fierce images. And the people respond with exactly the right question. What then shall we do? They are ready to make the necessary changes, the metanoia, the repentance, the ethical demands of God's justice. And John is not so much about right worship or correct prayer, but about fairness. How do we handle our wealth? How do we execute public service? How do we care for people in our community? And there's specific concrete action for each group of society that are there listening to John. The religious leaders, the the despised tax collectors, even the soldiers. John pushes into fairness and generosity and unselfishness. And John speaks of an unquenchable fire to burn away all that is not of God the proper way to prepare for the coming of the Holy One in our midst is to throw into the fire all of our greed and self-indulgence, our egoism, our hypocrisy. And Luke sums up all of this preaching as good news. It is what we all know we need. We welcome this judgment, even as we are fearful of it. It's not a gentle washing. It's an energetic, rough scrubbing. We may not welcome it. We may simply be resigned and know we need it. We may be open and resisting it at the same time. I think it's the same reaction I had in my childhood memories of having a spectacular crash on my bike and having my mother wash out the ground in dirt from the abrasions on my elbows and legs. Terribly painful, but couldn't be avoided. Necessary for good healing to happen. 
But as I said, today there's a switch. There's alongside this judgment and this harsh cleansing, there's another note, a call to rejoice. Rejoice. That's why you will sometimes see in the older sets of Advent candles a pink candle for this day, Gaudelte Sunday from the Latin to rejoice. A switch as we get closer to Christmas, a call to rejoice. This passage from Zephaniah this morning contains arguably my favorite image of God in all of Scripture. The only other time we might hear this passage from Zephaniah is at the Easter Vigil, but it's the tenth reading in the Vigil as we wait for the resurrection, so we hardly ever hear it. Zephaniah is a very short book, most of which is written before the exile with the, with the coming destruction from Babylon. It's full of harsh warning. There's no hope for escape from the destruction of the city and the temple. The severe consequences of the wrong-headed political alliances. There's a question in the rest of Zephaniah about whether the relationship with God will even hold this covenant with God. Is it severed forever? And then in these last few paragraphs, which are our reading this morning, there's a complete reversal of the judgment, a complete change of tone. Scholars, in fact, assume it was actually written a couple of generations later when people had returned from exile. They'd come back, they'd survived the destruction, but there was as yet no restoration. There was still a question, does God still love us? Is God still here? Precisely at a time when there is no reason for hope, Zephaniah envisions a turning, a new alternative future. Judgment is not the last word. There's a magnificent promise of joyful rejuvenation and rebuilding of the covenant relationship with God. We live into this advent tension between judgment and hope. The strong judgment demands of God's holiness and the merciful, compassionate nature of God, the constant action of our God toward healing and new life, restored relationship. In the ancient Talmud Berakot, the rabbinical discussions of God's blessings, when there's this conversation of wrestling with theological questions, Rabbi Abba Araka asked, what does God pray for? And his answer was, God prays, God's prayer is, may my mercy overcome my wrath. The experience of God witnessed in scripture and I think in our own lives is that over and over again God's mercy outweighs judgment. Judgment is not the last word. Mercy is the last word. And that's our cause for rejoicing. We catch a glimpse today as we prepare with joy for the coming of Christ. 
few of the images from this Zephaniah passage are worth holding on to, to shape our imagination for hope and for courage. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. God has turned away our enemies. Daughter. A tender relationship. My feminist self has trouble saying this, but in that culture, a daughter was seen to be vulnerable, helpless, and in need of protection, which is true of the people of God. And there's an invitation to sing. Again, in that culture, it was the women who sang with their hand drums, often translated tambourine, when there was a celebration of God's victory at the end of a war, when there was victory, the women went out to dance with their tambourines. And that call here for the women to sing harkens back to Miriam's song at the Exodus. When God had led the people of Israel through the Red Sea, when they were free from Pharaoh's army and the oppression of slavery, Miriam took up her tambourine and led the women in a song. The reason for singing is that the sovereign of Israel is in your midst. And it says, you will fear disaster no more. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The image here literally is, Do not let your hands hang down. It was an image used in scripture only for men who were warriors. And it's an image of utter despair. Your hands hanging down was the panic of a warrior in battle who was overwhelmed, (laughs) and the weird gender bending here is overwhelmed like a woman in labor. Do not let your hands hang down. You need not fear disaster anymore because God is in your midst. I confess that I have always read this as there will be no more disaster. As a privileged, sheltered Canadian who lives in peacetime, I've always been able to affirm, okay, no more disasters. But now I know that has shifted for me because we are living in a time of disaster. With the judgment of climate change upon us, I hear this passage and this promise differently. You shall fear disaster no more, because God is in your midst. Do not let your hands hang down. What I hear is, disasters will happen. That's the daunting reality we're living into of the fires from the past summer and the smoke and the, the flooding and this morning the tornadoes. That tornadoes, no one has ever experienced that kind of ferocity before. 
how do we hold that promise in the midst of knowing that we are living into those disasters? Do not fear. You shall fear disaster no more because God is in your midst. You do not need to be immobilized by fear. You do not need to be helpless in the midst of disaster. God is with you. What I feel in that is the intake of breath to gather our courage to respond in disaster. God is in our midst. And the text goes on to say, God will rejoice over you with gladness. God will renew you in love and exalt over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. It's a kind of startling image, God rejoicing over us with gladness. God is delighted to have a restored covenant relationship with us. This is not the stern, distant, remote judge. This is close and joyful warmth of restored relationship. The phrase, God will renew you in love, has um, an equally strong ancient version says, God will keep silence in love. And that rings true for reconciliation as well. After all these oracles of warnings, God voicing dismay and anger at the people's actions, now God chooses to keep silence in love. All the talking is done, enough is said, and God holds back from warning speeches. The silence is there for those of us who've experienced judgment to integrate it. And then it says, God rejoices over you with singing. Here's my favorite image of God. God sings. Notice I turned to the choir. God sings. This is not one-sided, us rejoicing and singing. We are not alone in this. God also rejoices. God also rejoices at the rebirth at the birth of Jesus in our midst, at the God who dwells with us. I always love the phrase from um, Narnia that Aslan is not a tame lion. Even in this Even in this rejoicing, there's a mysterious otherness about God and majestic awesomeness. It's not a sentimental, cuddly image. It's an exuberant singing. Rejoicing at reconciliation after judgment and cleansing. God comes to dwell with us in the midst of the reality of human life. And that is what we will, that's what we're preparing to celebrate with Jesus coming at Christmas. The Lord is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. How do we live into these texts that call us to rejoice when the whole earth is responding to the judgment of the climate? against our greedy exploitation and misuse of our planet, the consequences of our actions are upon us. How do we hold on to the hope that judgment is not the last word? 
that rejoicing can give us the courage and the hope to continue to live faithfully and to make the necessary changes for healthy community and a healthy planet. Not assuming we can make those changes ourselves, I think that would lead to despair. Not assuming that God will rescue us so that we can ignore the earth and the present moment. But a realistic hope that keeps us engaged in love and compassion now. I think that the very awareness of God's singing over us, of God's delight to be with us, of God's presence in our midst, that's what gives us the courage to step into the metanoia to which we are called. To cooperate with God, to allow the divine acts to make the cuts we know we must make for the sake of a life-giving future. And we are called to sing, to renew our courage. I actually think that as difficult as it has been to fast from the Eucharist, the fast from singing has been very, very difficult for all of us. From singing together. (laughs) I get to sing every night at night prayer. I get to sing at home in my car but not with the people of God. And as delightful as it is to listen to other people singing, it's the physical action of singing out loud and hearing people around us, I think, that renews our courage. Walter Brueggemann, the Hebrew Bible scholar, when he's commenting on the song of Miriam singing with the women with the tambourines at the Exodus, says, The God of hope does indeed accompany the hopers. And the sign of that accompaniment, the signs were fire and cloud and glory and ark. If, however, we think of their practice, the praxis, we may imagine that the presence of God was in the singing. Singing that became eventually our text and our presence of God in scripture. Singing is the practice. Singing is the way hopers regularly defy the power of Pharaoh, the death-dealing powers. Singing is the way in the midst of being frightened and anxious. Singing together as awareness of God in our midst rebuilds our courage to face disaster, to do all we can to mitigate climate justice, climate change, and other justice issues, to serve those who are most vulnerable and hurt by disasters. Not naive, Pollyannish singing, not sentimental, but real strengthening power. We are called to rejoice. Rejoicing is part of how God holds up our arms to keep working, not to let our arms hang down in despair. We are called to rejoice because it is concrete defiance of the powers of death, and singing frees us from fear. As we draw closer to celebrating the birth of Jesus— As we sing our familiar 
and our new songs of celebration of God in our midst, may we also always hear God singing over us, God rejoicing to be with us, God's singing, strengthening and revitalizing us. God singing, the light that shines on in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Thanks be to God.